Hello friends, I am Michael Woods. This is the ATC Double Cut. I am going to talk about one of the all-time classic posts on the website today. This is about carbon, and it's one of those posts that gets so many views, and at the time that I wrote it, I didn't realize that it would be so popular, but now uh, I think I originally wrote it back in 2018 when I first found out about this excellent article by Brian Hopkins. Um, and it, the title of the article was, Is Carbon the Next Frontier in Fertilization? You can find this on the ATC website in the, um, if you look at the top posts where I list the top 10 or top 12 posts in, that are getting the most views on the website. You can find that right on the front page of the ATC website. And this one, um, this this article, which was published in the Crop Science Society of America and the Soil Science Society of America publication, Crops and Soils, it is about carbon and it says, is carbon the next frontier in fertilization? And I didn't know why this was such a hot topic, but apparently people are searching for this on Google. So apparently people are interested in this. And I just, uh, I wrote this because I thought it was interesting. And I shared a bunch of quotes from the article. And I thought that maybe I'd already talked about this in one of the previous double cut episodes. But as I checked that, I realized, hey, I haven't talked about this one yet. So just to remind people about the excellent article and to share some of these quotes again, I thought I would read a few of them here because I'm sure some of you may not be aware of this. And carbon, of course, is very important. I was just in Europe for a series of seminars. I was scheduled to give 11 seminars. I had five in Portugal at the Portuguese Greenkeepers Congress. And then I was in Spain and I gave three different seminars in Spain, one in Madrid, one in Soto Grande, one in Mallorca. And then I went up to Denmark and I had three seminars there. So it was going to be a total of 11, five plus three plus three. And it turned out I got to give an extra unplanned seminar uh, a couple days ago in Denmark about playability and why I think it's important to measure playability. I'm going to be re recording a whole bunch of screencasts about these presentations at some point. So I will share with those of you who follow some of the videos and screencasts from ATC, I will share what I discussed in all of those seminars. Anyway, I'm a bit exhausted after the travel and giving 12 seminars and talking about so many things. But one of the things that we talked about repeatedly is that organic matter in the soil is very important and it is desirable to have as much as possible. It's I think that we should have as much organic matter in the soil as possible without that causing a problem to the turf. Too much organic matter in the soil may, in some situations, cause problems with the 
turfgrass performance, with the surface performance. So too much could be a problem, but too little is not very good either. Sand is a terrible growing medium for any kind of plant. And when there is organic matter in the soil, when there is organic matter mixed with the sand, you have a number of good things that happen, like nutrient storage capacity, like nutrient supply, like food for microbes, water holding capacity, various things that actually make the plant grow better. It makes a better growing environment for the grass. And that is why I would like to have as much organic matter in the soil as possible, and especially, um, well, not no, not especially. Um, in addition to that, there will be more carbon stored in the soil, which is a good thing because if the carbon is in the soil, it's not in the atmosphere. So you can look at the carbon sequestration potential of turf grass sites and try to increase the organic matter in the soil as much as possible. So I've had various conversations with people um, about this issue, about how carbon in the soil is a good thing and I will use carbon and organic matter interchangeably because soil organic matter is considered to contain 58% carbon. So you can do a switch between speaking about soil carbon or speaking about soil organic matter by using that 58% conversion. Having more organic matter in the soil up to a point is good. And what you would find if you test a lot of turf grass soils, and that's one of the things that ATC does, both for research and as a commercial service, when we are testing the soils, it is common to find not that the soils with the highest organic matter have the worst turf, but the reverse of that. It is common to find that on turf grass sites where we would measure the soil organic matter at different locations around a property, it would be common to have the turf that performs the best be growing in soils that have the highest organic matter content. And I don't think that that is a coincidence. I think it is to be expected that as the grass grows well, it creates more organic matter in the soil. So that uh, seems pretty simple and straightforward. But somehow in the professional turfgrass industry, there is also this idea that we need to do a lot of work to keep the organic matter under control. And I'm using the word organic matter here, meaning soil organic matter. I'm not talking about what I call the soil organic material, which is including a lot of the undecomposed living and dead plant parts. Turfgrass managers would think of roots, I think, as part of the organic matter. We would certainly think that rhizomes and stolons, well, stolons are above ground, um, so let's think of things that would be underground, like rhizomes and roots and thatch. We might think of that as organic matter. But from a soil science perspective, it's not because those materials would be thought of as plant material and not as part of the soil. 
And in my seminars about this topic, I try to distinguish between the soil organic matter, which is uh, measured after a soil sample has been passed through a sieve to remove all of that undecomposed material, and the total organic material, which includes the soil organic matter plus the undecomposed living and dead plant material. And that is the type of test that measures everything. And that's what I call the OM246 style of testing. And I recommend that turfgrass managers do both. Now, I've got a whole bunch of blog posts about both of those topics, and I hope you will check those out on the Asian Turfgrass website, where the search function, which you can find in the top right corner as a magnifying glass, if you click on that on the website, you can search and find uh, all of these posts where I've compared and uh, showed examples and some case studies about these different types of soil organic matter or soil organic material testing. And in this post that I'm getting to, I'm going to talk about it, uh, about carbon being the next frontier in fertilization. I'll put a direct link to that in the show notes. And at the top of that post, you can also just click on the carbon tag, which is, um, so I, the, the title of this says, Is Carbon the Next Frontier in Fertilization? And then the subtitle is, A New Article in Crops and Soils Discusses Soil Health, Carbon Fertilizer, and Managing Carbon. The conclusion is, forget about fertilizing with carbon. And then the next line um, has these tags that includes carbon. So if you click on the carbon one, you can find all kinds of things on the ATC website that I've written about carbon, which is quite important. But does it need to be applied as fertilizer? The conclusion of this article by Brian Hopkins is forget about fertilizing with carbon. Now, why is that? Well, this is a superb article that seems to be behind a paywall. Now, there are some tricks to uh, get that. And I'm, rather than me posting it on the website, uh, I'm just going to say here, if anybody watching or listening this would like a copy of that article, and you're not able to get a copy of the full article, but you want to read it, please send me an email, or you can find my contact information through the ATC website, um, or through the Pace Turf website, and just contact me and I will get you a copy of that article. So, the article is by Brian and Tyler Hopkins. I know Brian Hopkins is a professor at uh, BYU, and he does a lot of turfgrass research. And he has done a lot of work with biostimulants and with soil, uh, uh, soil amendments that that contain organic material and carbon. And he really did a comprehensive look at this in the article. And I did a quick summary. I said, here's a quick summary put together with a series of quotes from the article. And I'm just surprised that anyone would 
read this type of thing and think that they would still need to apply carbon as fertilizer. And I may talk about some numbers a little bit at the end, uh, just to give some of my own thoughts on this also. But basically in the blog post, I didn't give any of my own thoughts because I was just uh, sharing quotes from the article. So it starts off, um, mostly what I'm talking here is quotes. The introduction, in the introduction section, it says, plants are a factory of sorts whose product is carbon-containing sugar with oxygen gas as a byproduct. Okay? It says plants are a, fa a carbon-producing factory. Okay? And then the next section is about soil health. It says, let's see. I'm not going to read the entire thing. If you want to read the entire, uh, the, the quotes that I shared, if you want to read all of them, you can check out the blog post at the link. And again, if anybody wants to have a full copy of this article, I can share it, but I'm not going to post it for download because it's, it's behind a paywall. Um, okay, here's another quote. Agricultural and urban soils tend to have a typical range of 2 to 5% organic matter. With arid regions and sandier soils on the lower end, and areas with high precipitation and heavier textured soils on the upper end of the range, this OM is comprised of human, humic acid, fulvic acid, and other carbon-containing compounds derived from dead plants and organisms. The composition of the organic matter is similar to the living organisms from which it is derived with about half of the mass being carbon. Texts often cite about 58% of OM is carbon. That's the same 58% conversion number that I said before. The next section is about carbon fertilizer. More quotes. Should we be applying carbon fertilizer? They wrote. The answer is no. Although the carbon content of the atmosphere is far less than 1%, plants capture it efficiently. It is their mission in life. As a rule, plants are not carbon deficient. So it's there's really zero reason to apply carbon to feed the plant because capturing it is their mission in life. Then they go on to say, what about applying solid forms of carbon to the soil? This is doable and promoted at an alarming rate. There are a wide variety of compounds on the earth that contain carbon, but is it wise to add them as fertilizer? It is true that many compounds containing carbon have been documented to positively impact plants. A notable example is urea fertilizer, which contains one atom of carbon for every two atoms of nitrogen. That's right. Um, okay, I, that, that's the end of the quote, and now I can say that's right. Uh, urea fertilizer contains carbon also. So, um, I, I don't quite understand why... Um, all right, this is Micah talking now, not quoting. Uh, I don't understand why one would apply carbon to the soil because there's already so much carbon there. And in fact, for professional turfgrass management, a lot of the work done, such as sand top dressing, and a lot of the cultivation work that's done is for the purpose of trying to keep the 
carbon in the soil from getting too high. So it seems kind of strange that one would be trying to reduce carbon on with one set of activities and then deliberately apply carbon, uh, thinking that that would be beneficial. Let's see, back to the quotes. I'm just scrolling down here. Let's see. Let's see. They, he describes, or they describe, doing a lot of experiments. Two dozen trials over two decades on a variety of species, from turf grass to row crops, checking the effect of carbon fertilizers. And I will start quoting about the results. They write, The results have been approximately the same for all. Fertilization resulted in about a 5% increase in yield growth, regardless of fertilizer source. The effect on yield or growth was due to nutrients other than carbon. The so-called carbon fertilizer did not impact carbon status in the plant in any case. To further illustrate this point, many compounds containing carbon have been documented to negatively impact plants. A notable example is glyphosate herbicide. It is erroneous to conclude that the carbon is what kills plants. Yes, carbon is part of the molecule, but it is the entire sum of the parts that makes this molecule effective and not any individual atom. Let's see. Oh, we're coming to the end. Nice. That in, the, in their section on managing carbon, they write this. I will quote again. Forget about fertilizing with carbon. Use products proven scientifically in replicated research via unbiased third-party sources. Some of these will be carbon-based and others will not. In general, whether it's urea or glyphosate, the presence of carbon is an important part of the sum of the molecule's effectiveness, but carbon nutrition is not the reason for the response. And I think that um, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I, I think that they make a very clear conclusion, which is forget about fertilizing with carbon. Now, you might, you might think, okay, that's fine. They're just saying, uh, they're just saying that, but you might think, okay, I still want to add some carbon because I think it will be uh, it couldn't be a bad thing. Why not? Um, okay, fine. But my thinking is let's at least be aware of how much carbon is actually in the soil already. And I wrote a blog post last autumn um, that I'm going to also share a link to. And that blog post has the title of How Much Carbon and Humus Are in the Soil. You will find a link to this. You will find a li direct link to this post also in the show notes. So this one says, uh, this one is just doing some math based on how much humus is in the soil, the soil organic matter, and adjusting that to a carbon content by taking 58% of it. Okay, so I look at the top four inches or 10 centimeters of a root zone. 
And it's typical in a sand-based root zone to have something like 1.5, 1.8, 2% soil organic matter. That would be typical in a sand-based root zone. There is a lot of carbon in that soil organic matter. So for example, when soil organic matter goes up by a tenth of a percent, when it goes up, for example, from 1.8% to 1.9%, which is the typical type of change that one might expect from year to year as turf grows, the amount of carbon goes up in only the top four inches of the soil, in only the, like right in the root zone, the carbon goes up by, I'm going to give all the units now, it goes up by 70 grams per square meter. That is 700 kilograms per hectare of carbon. That's how much more carbon is, is in a soil with 1.9% organic matter compared to a soil with 1.8% organic matter. And that is 14 pounds of carbon per 1,000 square feet. And that is 610 pounds of carbon per acre. That's, that's how much there is in just a tenth of a percent of soil organic matter. So that it's a huge amount. There is a huge amount of carbon that is already there, organic carbon in sand root zones. There is a lot of it. There is a, a lot of it there. So when there's so much there, I'm not sure. I guess what I'm getting at is I'm not sure that there is such a need to add so much of it as um, as soil, I, I'm sorry, as, as fertilizer, right? If there is already so much carbon present in the soil, and there is so much carbon created by the grass, and if their very mission in life is to capture carbon from the atmosphere and then convert some portion of that into soil organic material, into soil organic matter, then I don't see where a benefit comes from, from adding, from specifically from adding carbon as fertilizer. So that is uh, one of the blog posts on the website that uh, year after year, I think I originally wrote it in 2018, as I mentioned, and that is one that year after year tends to get a lot of hits. And the reason why it gets a lot of hits and a lot of reads is because people are actually searching for that topic on Google. So uh, I guess there's people out there selling carbon-based fertilizer or people wanting to buy carbon-based fertilizer. And I think that it's useful for us all to know as much as we can about that particular topic. So I, uh, I'm home for less than 24 hours, and I thought it would be fun to sit at my desk and record a little episode before I start my next trip. Um, I've, yeah, I've been traveling a ton this year, which has just been a great 
uh, learning experience for me, uh, getting to see grasses uh, on all different kinds of continents and all different types of weather, learning from so many turf grass managers. And uh, it's, it's just been really fun to talk with so many people from around the world who have watched some of the videos that I've made or they um, maybe they listen to this show or they watch this show or they read the blog or they participate in the ATC Turf Discord server. You can also find a link to that on the ATC website. People who are Pace Turf subscribers, I appreciate that. All of you uh, who are Pace Turf subscribers, who or who are planning to be Pace Turf subscribers, I really appreciate that, and I thank you for your support. And um, I've got a lot of ideas of interesting new analyses and uh, information to share uh, just for the Pace Turf subscribers. So. Um, maybe I'll be able to get some of that implemented over the next couple of months as we run the climate appraisal uh, analysis for all of the PaceTurf subscribers for uh, for the calendar year of 2022 and make that available going into 2023. And um, yeah, I anyway, I've I've got. I've got a long, long list of uh, things that I want to write about, uh, more things that I want to talk about. And as I was saying, I've learned so much and had such a good time talking with so many people on some of these recent travels. And uh, yeah, it just, it makes me excited about the opportunity that we have to uh, keep trying to make better turf grass and keep trying to have fun while we're doing it. Uh, manage grass in the most efficient way possible, check what we're doing and uh, just keep trying to try new methods and innovative methods and uh, logical methods that work well for creating good turf grass. So yeah, I'm, I'm uh, excited about all of this and just a little bit short of time uh, to share as much as I want to, but I'm I'm uh, I'm gonna be traveling. I'm, I'm I won't be at home. I'm I'm gonna be going on another long trip for for a couple of months. But uh, I was counting up the plane rides uh, on this trip, and it's uh, it's a few long ones, but not not too many. I'll be settled in a few places for a couple weeks at a time, as uh, as I make some travel. So I do hope to be doing some more blog posts and uh, some more podcasts and videos. I've got some about videos. I've got all kinds of really cool stuff. I recorded some really interesting videos when I was at PGA Catalunya and then uh, at the Semillas Fito uh, turfgrass plots near Barcelona. That was in late April or early May. So I've got, I've got a lot of videos there, but it requires some editing for me to put something usable together, to put something viewable together. And I just haven't had time. So I've got those videos that I'm really excited to share. I went to Brookside Labs in March and recorded all kinds of videos that also require editing to put together. And those are going to be really cool when I finally do those. Um, and then just this last week, 
I went on the Tour de Fungus. I'll get a blog post up about that and then do a specific uh, episode of the double cut that's dedicated only to describing what the Tour de Fungus was all about and the uh, things that I learned on that. But I just put up a short video, um, a one-minute video on YouTube that, that gives a quick highlight of that. And I recorded some other uh, videos with my camera and so I've got those and I'll try to make another video about the tour de fungus uh, with a lot of my commentary about what I think is so interesting because there are a group of greenkeepers mostly from the Copenhagen Denmark area although they have in the past had uh, at least one uh, member in their group from Sweden and they are what they call a experience group, and they are sharing their experiences. They all have the same goal, but they have different ways of managing. So they're, they're all head greenkeepers at different golf courses. They all have the same goal. Um, they're all dealing with some of the same challenges, and every year they share the work that they've done and they share the results that they've achieved, and then they're able to learn from the successes and the failures that the group as a whole has, has experienced. And I was just so impressed with that as a systematic way for a group of greenkeepers to try to manage more efficiently. And I will explain why all that is in the video, and I think uh, if you've watched the short video, which I'll also put a link to that, if you watch that, I think you'll get a hint of why, because there is intense disease pressure at that location, intense disease pressure for pink snow mold or microdochium patch. And they call this the tour de fungus because they schedule it every year in November, because in November, that is a time of year near Copenhagen, where there is pretty heavy disease pressure for that particular disease. And what they are trying to do is manage turf without pesticides. So when you've got a disease that can be quite devastating and can impact almost 100% of the turf grass area, if uh, there's a bad outbreak of it, and you, um, you try to manage that without pesticides, I think it would be really useful to be doing all the best practices that you could and that experience group has really helped them to discover some of the things that work well. And when I joined their tour de fungus, it was astounding to me to see some of the greens that haven't received any pesticide, not just this year, but some of them not for multiple, they haven't received pesticides for multiple years, no fungicides for multiple years. And they were relatively disease free. And yet, there was a test green that we saw that had severe disease. <laughs> and you can see in the video what I mean when I say severe disease. So it turned out to be a remarkable tour de fungus, a really fine day to be out, uh, out and about in the Copenhagen countryside, in the Denmark countryside, uh, visiting some of these golf courses, seeing a few deer, and uh, seeing a lot of pink snow mold on the control plots, but on these putting greens, not very much at all. 
So yeah, I've anyway, that is a a little dump from me of some of the things that I've been thinking about and I've got my um yeah, I've got my notebook and my files on my computer with a list of lots of things to write and talk about. So hopefully, hopefully as I have time, I will be able to share a lot of interesting information with all of you and I appreciate you for all of your support and for listening and liking and if you want to uh, if you're watching this go ahead and click the like button or leave a comment and if you're uh, listening to this I know on podcast platforms you can uh, sometimes uh, rate the podcast or you can leave a comment and I think that might be helpful in helping other people discover this type of information so if you think that it's worthwhile to do that and you could do me that favor I would appreciate it all right everybody thank you so much for listening and I am so excited (laughs) to be for one day at home so I can say that I'm signing off For ATC from Yantikau, Thailand, I am Micah Woods. Thank you and bye-bye.